Welcome to Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes, a podcast. In this series, hosts Cassie Robel, the Director of Education, and Kathleen Trott, the Shop Manager for the Marlow Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop, will introduce you to all the departments and people at Arizona Opera that are necessary to produce the operas you enjoy. Thanks for joining us. In our last episode, our trivia was, in the 1953 movie, Abbott and Costello go to Mars, where do they actually go? Mars, Pluto, Venus, or the moon? Contrary to the title, they actually go to Venus. Our second trivia, in 1970, a version of Carmen was done in the Verona Arena in Rome. And it was so lavish that it had 38 live horses in the production. Which two incidents actually happened during a performance? A horse ended up in the pit. The artificial mountains got eaten. A cat interrupted Carmen's death. Or a Pyrenean mountain dog came on stage. And it was that the last horse in the procession in Act 4 ran toward the orchestra pit, landed on the kettle drums, but it didn't injure, injure itself or others, thankfully and a cat decided that it had to make a presentation in Carmen's death and it rubbed itself against the performers. Keep up with us each episode for our trivia. Now let's meet our guests. We are joined today by Courtney Clark, Arizona Opera's Director of Community Alliances and Taniqua Broughton, founder and CEO of Verve Simone Consulting. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks Thanks for for having us. Awesome. So we are so lucky. We're going to start with Courtney to have her here at Arizona Opera um, in a new position, our Director of Community Alliances. So can you uh, first introduce yourself um, and tell us a little bit more about what this position does? Okay. Well, I'm Courtney Clark. I hail from Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised. And I came to Arizona Opera by way of Seattle Opera. I was looking for a different a switch up, I guess. I was ready for the next level in my career, and I was immediately captivated by the title Community Alliances. Um, I uh, What really drew me to the position was having the opportunity to work more with community, um, not so much in engagement, but in creating a welcoming and belonging um, place for um, our community members, our patrons, as well as our lifelong subscribers. Um, And being able to look at the programming uh, through the lens of equity and to ensure that we are not just serving ourselves here in this art form, but also serving and meeting the needs of our communities through this art form. So um, a long story short, I've only been here, what, I came in on November the 1st, um, in a nutshell, I can't tell you exactly what this job title um, will evolve into, um, but so far within these three months, I have seen um, wonderful interaction and being able to comb through the program offerings that we uh, offer for adult and community learning um, and, and really take a look at it and see if it's culturally inclusive 
and and to make sure that it serves us but as well as the community and moving the art form forward. So I know you've only been here for a short three months um, and maybe this you can speak to the job description a little bit but what is has been your favorite part or do you think will become your favorite part of this position? I think what will become my favorite part of this position um, is creating more inclusive programming that creates community, creating a culture here that is still a little unraveled um, and putting that puzzle together. And that is just weaving community um, and finding um, how we can meet the needs of everyone. I think that is going to be my most favorite part. And I hope I, I live to see it or someone full, you know, uh, keep that momentum going forward. Community building. Um, this art form was created for the people. And unfortunately, high society has changed the narrative. And so we have a lot of work to do to unpack and bring it back to the people. Um, operas for the people. And we need to continue to remind our artists that this is an elitist art form, that we are here to serve. We are servant leaders. And we're just doing that work through music. So then, Taniqua, I feel like we're sort of hand in hand here, which is why Cassie and I decided that you two would be a really great fit in one episode. But can you tell me exactly what Verve Simone is and does, and then what that relationship with Arizona Opera is? Absolutely. I'm going to take the next 45 minutes to... <laughs> Uh, no, just kidding. But um, I'll first start with the name because I think the name is important when thinking about um, putting um, my own consulting firm together. Um, verb means uh, unique uh, or uh, talented. And Simone uh, is my last name. I mean, it's my middle name, uh, which means uh, a woman who listens. So my consulting firm end up being a talented woman who listens. So that's how I end up with Verb Simone. But Verb Simone is a consulting um, firm to individuals and organizations to focus specifically on nonprofit governance, arts and cultural project management, um, and then EDI empowerment assessment trainings um, or workshops specifically, again, with nonprofits, educational institutes, institutions, um, or leadership programs in our community and my relationship to the Arizona Opera. So uh, I wanna say it's been a little over two and a half years now. Uh, I serve as the co-founder and creative director for Loud Living ooh, Opera, ooh, ooh. Understanding Diversity. Um, it is uh, our a digital series experience that was designed to really connect communities far and wide to discuss. Uh, diversity across sectors um, in the community showcasing some of our arts and culture in our local community but also having evergreen stories uh, uh, that are inspired around the opera. So this job like I think Courtney's is a big kind of job and but what what is your favorite part about being the co-founder and working with Arizona Opera? 
So my favorite part is the stories, being able to uh, design sort of like artistically the season and being able to think about the stories that will come out of it, the people who will be able to shine, the way that we'll be able to, to show that and reflect that. Like that gets me excited. Like I could do that all day. Uh-huh. And so that's my favorite part is being able to put sort of that design and, and lay it out and share it with the production company and share it with Courtney and our host and really talk about, you know, what is the vision behind bringing it back to the mission of, of Loud. So that's what I really love about it. Um, and I like then being able to see it as we film, how that thought process now becomes reality on paper, from paper to film. So um, we can start with Courtney again, but what how did you come to be here? What's your background, education? <laughs> yeah. Well, what brought you to us? Okay, so uh, what brought me uh, to you was that I was looking for the next level of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, I, I went to a historically black college, a Morris Brown College um, undergrad, and I majored in music, vocal performance, education, I then went on to um, study abroad for a period of time in Siena. At the time, I wanted to be an operatic singer. I I actually started out very young, um, early on, um, with uh, going to attending a performing arts high school and traveling across Europe. Um, And then I went uh, went on to Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, where I obtained my master's in music, vocal performance. And then after about, I want to say seven years, um, you know, I, I had already obtained my licensure to teach in Georgia, but I wanted something to give back. I just did not want to go into the classroom. I also didn't look at education as a fallback. Um, as so many performing artists do. Um, I also needed to make sure that I had corporate America out of my blood as I had two parents um, that were corporate America driven. Um, And they always taught us, you know, there will be no starving artists in this house. Um, And so it took me about seven years and and I had a lovely mentor by the name of Dr. Boone, at Middle Tennessee State, and she said, you know, when you're ready, Courtney, call me, and you'll be the best, but you need to be, you need to really follow your philosophy of how you felt. So I um, graduated in 2001 at Middle Tennessee State. That same month, I auditioned for Nashville Opera, and I interviewed for a paralegal position at one of the most prestigious law firms in downtown Nashville, and I got both of them. And uh, we had a wonderful relationship uh, for 17 years performing on stage and and actually working uh, education-wise with Nashville Opera for 17 years. And um, seven, seven years of that period, I auditioned around the world. I um, was able to get um, a little insight, really understand um, from the artist's perspective of opera. Um, and then I went into the classroom. I decided, well, I'm ready, Dr. Boone. Hey, I've had enough of the world. And I went back. Um, I, I ended up actually getting my licensure uh, from Belmont University. 
Um, and that I think I, I'd finished. And I think two months later, I was standing in a classroom and I taught K through five music for about almost eight years in a rural town in Lebanon, Tennessee. And it was some of the most gratifying work. And what was most gratifying and most challenging about it was because the, com the community were hungry for new opportunities. However, there was no money. Yeah. And so I didn't realize it, but not only had I had to walk into that wonderful opportunity um, that was given to me by Ter uh, Terry Trice, um, I had to create the curriculum. I had to create the culture. And I also had to learn how to grant write. I also had to learn how to make connections in the community in order to supply these high quality arts programming for these lovely children who had, some of them had never left yeah. the town, hadn't been to a, a football game in the city or to the movie theater. And it became a culture, bringing the opera in, writing the curriculum, taking them to the symphony, the Country Music Hall of Fame. And then I, some, something said, Courtney, you need to get your doctorate because I, there's something here. And I thought that I needed to get my doctorate in order to move forward into what I, I considered my dream job. I applied, I got in, I did a year of doctoral work in educational leadership. And I applied for a position at Seattle Opera. The job came before the doctorate. Um, and I, I was really, I had never been to the region. I'd said that I'd never live on the West Coast because I was afraid of earthquakes. Uh -huh. um, and I had never stepped foot in Seattle, just like I had never stepped foot in Arizona. But I was courted and I was given um, support. And I led their education um, in school programming, um, connecting everything throughout the company as an arts as an arts management um, and that was it was a dream it was a really it was really good work and that work led me more into how to create more inclusive cultural programming not just for our youth but for across the board our creatively aging um, our students our young adults how can we make this community and so that's how I ended up here and long story short. <laughs> that is a great journey. I think mm -hmm. speaks really clearly to how sort of important and engaging the arts and community is and how vital. And you also don't know your journey. You know, you yeah. know, you know your you know your passion. All yeah. you need is the passion. But it's funny how you go through this journey within an art form. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've decided to leave opera. Mm -hmm. But opera seemed to have kept calling me back. <laughs> yeah. It's clock. Every time. <laughs> every time. It's yeah. like the, the you know, divine intervention. No, no. You're destined to do this. It is going to be hard. You'll be fine. <laughs> uh -huh. We're not going to give you that job over here at the High Museum and the this and this and that. You're going to go right over here to Arizona. You're going to go right, right over here. Mm -hmm. So the journey, it's yeah. um, what makes us, and it's its still evolving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Taniqua, your turn. <laughs> Tell I know. us a little bit about your background, your education. How did you end up doing what you're doing today? 
Well, I love Courtney's story because Courtney and I definitely have so much intersection and um, I think complement each other in the way in which um, we began working on Loud. And uh, I would agree with you, Courtney, you know, the experiences that you have in life, sometimes you do things, you learn things, you experience things and don't know they build upon the next thing that you had no idea you were going to to apply for or be courted for and now you're prepared for it because of that and so i appreciate the beauty of that so um my experience um i think i've been in arizona i stopped counting maybe 24 maybe 25 years um i actually came here as a transfer um from the university of kentucky to finish up as a student athlete at asu Um, So Sun Devil for sure. And um, what I will say is that I, as Courtney came here unseen, just like I had to make a decision which school I was going to transfer to. And my heart said that I needed to go to Arizona. My uh, coach who had originally recruited me at Kentucky um, actually left two days before getting going to Kentucky and uh, came to Arizona State. And then he asked to sort of let's figure out how we can finish what we started. And uh, at the time, I didn't know. Arizona, and it was far from my home as Courtney. I grew up in Georgia, not born, but grew up in Georgia. So um, I don't, I don't think my parents were like, okay, you're not going to Arizona. Um, you know, I had Tennessee, Florida, other opportunities, but just to, just to say that I realized, um, this, this was the best choice that I made on scene. Um, so, uh, worked, got my, got my, um, Bachelor's in interdisciplinary studies in uh, educational psychology with an emphasis in theater for youth um, at Arizona State. And then I started working at Arizona State University uh, Gamage. And so um, I like to say the dearest Colleen Jennings Rogensack um, and Michael Reed guided me, I think, to really have experiences in really understanding uh, community building, uh, community, um, like multicultural design of of productions and um, how you think about how communities um, are built and should be built and looking at performances through a lens, not just linear, but um, built upon sometimes our own experiences, our own feelings, our own thoughts. So having worked at ASU Gamage was amazing for me because I really feel like that continues to instill how I work today. I remember a residency that I did with Liz Lerman, um, who I think still might be in residency right now at um, the Herberger uh, School or or Herberger Institute right now. she did a residency with us. She did a three-year residency. And the way in which we work with community really helped me understand, like, you don't go in and it's transactional. And you're like, hey, I'm going to set up all these master classes and poof, everybody now loves dance or everyone. But the way in which she talked about who dance was for and just her elements of dance, but then also how we were planning and and moving through things really helped me think about how I needed to be more 
transformational in the way that I design the work that I do in the community, whether it's um, bringing in an artist in residence, whether it's putting a production together. So um, from being the person who led like the music series at the MU, from like working with the Broadway artists on stage, to doing a program called Journey Home for incarcerated women in Australia jail. I mean, there there's so many things at um, ASU Gamish that I learned that when I was able to really say, okay, I think it's time for that next step. You know, I really remember that moment of, of me saying, Colleen, I think it's time for the next step. And she said, yeah, it's time for the next step. So taking those experiences and staying in Arizona and then working at um, Free Arts for Abuse Children of Arizona for a little over five years as the director of programs allowed me to literally build upon that and work with a lot of the arts organizations I was already working with, but even further, but thinking about it for the lens of young people who've been removed from their home or living in homeless shelters or treatment centers. And how do we utilize arts as really this healing process? We we sometimes forget that like when we have our moments, we may turn on music, we may color, we may do these things, but that is our outlet as adults. It is very much that outlet for young people. And so it was great to really continue to build upon that, but I also got to build upon my management skills of being able to lead a department of people, which I loved working with the women on my team and doing that. So it just ended up, growing and growing from then my next job to then being on boards regionally and nationally that really helped me get to this point. And what I would say is I got to a point where I poured myself all in. I'm all in. If I'm in, I'm, you're getting all of me. Um, and But what I realized is while I'm giving all of me and I'm building things, I was building things for other people and not necessarily for myself. And um, while I was gaining great skills, that was great. I always remember my track coach, Daryl Anderson, saying to Nico, you know, you got the scholarship to go to school. But at the same time, like, the best thing you could do is walk out with your degree. Because yeah. you think about it, you know, we're using you, so you have to sort of use us. And when people don't leave with that degree, it's like, dang, you can go to the Olympics, you can go to Super Bowl, you can go to all those things, but the degree is something no one can ever take from you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what I loved about that is that's how I kind of thought about it. And um, I realized that when I was kind of on my own and I was like, what do I want to do next? Where do I want to go? The arts community just poured into me with all of these landscaping, I mean, sorry, landscaping, um, freelance opportunities to do um, work like a production and um, actually look at um, speaking engagements. And so um, with that, I then said, you know what, I believe my next journey is to actually have my own consulting firm. And so that's how Verb Simone really got started is building upon it. And while I was um, in most people would say at the time, young, you know, you normally start your consulting practice when you're about to finish your career. It actually was a prime opportunity for me because I was very immersed in the field. And I, I do believe that um, 
through the goodness of so many champions and cheerleaders of me over those few decades, I was able to be successful and even grow my business where it is today, which is now eight years later. Yeah. So, um, black girls, uh, their black magic does exist. No, <laughs> bubbling, oozing, bubbling, oozing, bubbling, bubbling. But um, you know, with anything, you're building it. I built it from ground up. I'm really excited about it. But I'm still able to do all the things I was able to do when I was working for a company. I'm still in the community, sitting on several boards. I'm still in those um, places and spaces. I'm still giving back. But I get to do it on my terms, and I feel like I. Get give even more in this sense because of that. But I will say that I'm grateful for the people who stand with me and who supported me and who champion me because I think we forget that when people see the greatness in you that you don't see yet, you have to believe it and you have to work for it, but you have to have the humbleness and humility to work towards it and do it because it is about serving others and your leadership is needed and necessary in Arizona. As part of who you are and how you grew up, have you always felt and known that you needed to take a point to be actively engaged in community and outreach? Or is it something that you learned slowly? I grew up in the community. I grew up on Auburn Avenue at Big Bethel AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church. I have an uh, ordained mother. Um, I just two, three steps away from the King Center, Wheat Street Baptist Church, African American Museum on the corner. I come from two born and bred Atlanteans. Um, and even though they were corporate America driven and, and both of them worked for uh, the railroad, Norfolk Southern they were still very much a part of black excellence, Mm -hmm. social justice, and being a part of every movement that mattered. And that's just not black movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And their journey, uh, my mom started, I think her first job was at the Curve Market butchering meat at 15. Then she went on to Coca-Cola, and then she wanted more. You know, why do men get more than, you know? And she ended up at the railroad with my father. And that was instilled in us. And so I have to be very, very, I have to be intentional about how I, I respond to that because I always knew that in some way, I was going to be a servant leader. Sure. I was a full-fledged born artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought I was going to be on Broadway mm-hmm. when I was seven. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had the tap shoes and everything else. Don't ask me to do math and science or anything. I just wanted to <laughs> dance and sing. But community yeah. was a big part of our existence. Growing up in, a, in an urban city, uh, the, you know, at, at, as what they call the black mecca today, um, and, and growing up around so much diversity and, you know, you, the community was all that you had was whether it was your community centers, your boys and girl clubs, um, your Jack and Jill social events, you know, the, just the black church experience period. It was 
who you knew, you know, there was any given day, uh, you know, that something would go on, um, that we were a part of. And so I have to say that I was born into it. I didn't have to learn it, um, because it was just a way of life. You know, um, what you, you, the hardest part about it was the heart that comes from it sometimes and of the community and dealing with the ups and downs, the ebb and flow, um, of building community and what happens to communities that stick together. Um, but yeah, I, I, I strongly, I used to say, oh, you know, I figured it out on the stage or traveling internationally as a kid or going to... But I was born into it. Mm-hmm. There's a learned behavior. Yeah. yeah. I would agree with Courtney. So I can remember really young being in my room and I had my dolls lined up and the chalkboard. I was teaching. Uh-huh. I, I knew back yep. then that, you know, I was teaching. And so I think um, it is it's something that's instilled in you, but it's also something that comes from the environment around you. So my mom was an entrepreneur. She had her own business, um, was an interior decorator. So I just remember being out in the community all the time, going to people's homes. And really, um, she was very much a servant. And so looking at how she wanted to um, make others happy and smile and that, your, you know, your home was that place where, you know, you, you, you want beauty. And so I feel like as I, I grew up, I knew that I was built to serve others. How I was to do that, I think I learned that on my journey. And I knew I wanted to work with kids. Um, and when I started going through school, I was like, okay, got all the way to the end, finished um my student teaching, I was like, no, I don't want to actually teach. But you know, I love kids. And you know, people are like, so after you got all through all that, so I would definitely say, um, but I found a different way, which is I was still able to work with kids and do a lot of arts education programming during my time at ASU Gammage. Yeah. And so um, I would say throughout thinking about this particular work, you know, if you're aware and you have self-awareness of who you are, you know what it is that you um, need to do as a servant and you begin to do it. And then you acquire the skills that continue to elevate you Mm -hmm. during that. And it will continue to grow as long as you look at yourself as a learner in the process Mm -hmm. of also teaching others. And that's what I will say is my experience is that every day as I may be pouring into people, people are pouring into me mm-hmm. and that is important to, I think this work, you, you, you can't be, I feel like, um, the leader that is a servant, if only you were serving others, but no one is serving mm. you, 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 yeah. def- it has to be, and it's reverse mentoring. You should always have somebody that is mentoring you as well as you are mentoring them. Sure, yep. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I have to say, you know, um, you had your dolls lined up and you were teaching. <laughs> I was singing, <laughs> singing, yeah. singing in my room. I mean, and, you know, I, I'm not the only child, but we're all so far apart that we all felt like we had our parents to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I'm, yep. I'm eight, eight years, nine years 
older than my sister and my brother is six years older than me mm-hmm. and so that we all felt like we had our period you know of this is just us mm-hmm. and cultivating having the parents to cultivate you not telling you to be quiet or why are you talking to yourself? are you crazy you know having that um you know the initial beginning being championed and also seeing seeing the work happening mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i you think know. you're right it's the seeing the work happening definitely um by the modeling like we forget that um you may not be saying anything but some of my my best mentors i like to say if, if i would call them mentors or advisors are is by leading by example yeah. they're not yeah. necessarily telling me that and i think you're also right Courtney. when you think about what was in your everyday life mm-hmm. because i started as young as eight like running track so i always had a community of people we were traveling and doing stuff so you learn how to um, have discipline you learned how to work with other people and you worked with other people it wasn't about if i like you or not it was about what was our ultimate goal and community Mm -hmm. was we wanted the same thing and so um we we build upon it's something we build upon Mm -hmm. and then you start to realize i always say this when i talk to people when you come from the arts community you have to work with other people Mm -hmm. so like in my work when i'm working with the state of black arizona and i'm like i love collaboration Mm -hmm. because i i'm used to that like Mm -hmm. there were so many things that i remember early on in my career if i didn't have those partnerships Mm -hmm. or collaborations it would have been really hard yeah Mm -hmm. and so you have this natural just like understanding Mm -hmm. is that um it has to be built together Mm -hmm. and it has to be built up and i mean there's different ways and paths of how you know people's strategy of doing it but that's the beautiful part is if you figure out how to do that in a way where it's not a revolving door but a way where both both parties feel like this is meaningful we both win i think is important to like community and that you feel like you're a part of something you're being bigger. served yeah, yeah. you're being yeah. spiritually fed yeah. coming up for you this season that you're like looking forward to or you're specifically geared toward that will engage the community and work on inclusion and help develop and grow our relationship with the community most um i'm really most excited about the loud um collaboration with taniqua um i think it embodies everything um when it comes to inclusivity um and building community, you know, um, within the community. Um, a lot of programs such as Loud, um, they tend to jump all over the world and all over. The, but to have a program that is locally based mm-hmm. and focused, a region, focused region, and and hearing different storytelling and how people came um, to be in their art form and just the message behind that. That is just really exciting work. It's new for me. So this will be my first season, um, working with Taniqua. I have to say, uh, I just recently learned that, um, I get the opportunity to, uh, head up the film festival, um, that I am, uh, hoping to have ready to go for June, July, and August. Um, and so that is in the work. Um, we for the rest of the season we have uh, coffee at care um, at the mm-hmm. Kerr Center, um, and we will finish up with uh, with Cosi Fantuti. But we have 
a, a little night music coming up and we do have sort of a treat for that um, with a lecture I'm like uh, I'd like to refer to them as community previews because we want to give you a little bit of what's happening um, in the aria um, uh, with some arias what's happening in the operas or operetta as I would call um, a little night music so I'm saying this is theater but I think it's just the beginnings of all it's operetta um, <laughs> and so we're looking forward to giving you a bird's eye view into the text some of the artists to look forward to to hopefully get you to come out and see the operas it will be a beautiful experience um and i believe that is going to wrap up the season um <laughs> now i am looking forward to um unveiling some new programming uh for the upcoming season we have a beautiful 23 uh 22 23 season opening with the falling and the rising Tosca and we also have like you know I can I have skipping a few but um, really excited about our family opportunities um, with our Mozart piece help me the magic flute the magic flute yeah. thank mm -hmm. you um, so I'm really excited um, it'll be a, a full first year for me yeah. and, and not just you know coming in and picking up where the chips may fall but actually having the opportunity to sit back and look at what is needed and, and really, you know, dive deep into the community and see how we can meet those needs. So, but yes, loud. I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk a little bit about it because I'm, I'm excited um, to partner with Courtney. Um, you know, Courtney came in, I think, uh, Cassie already knew I was ready to go before even Courtney signed her papers, but, um, <laughs> the like, great you thing sure is, you ready? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's go, let's go, I've been waiting to get this done, let's go. Um, but season two is going to be, I feel like a delight. Um, it is a, a step up from, um, our thought process of the creative direction. Um, Courtney having a background and experience in opera was really helpful for me to really look at a number of different composers, librettists, um, uh, concert music directors, um, and then uh, choreographers to say, you know, how are they engaged um, in this field of work? And so because opera is for everyone, and this is really about inclusion and bringing the communities who have not always maybe seen themselves um, coming to or participating, I think, in the Arizona Opera's work, we are really working to move this forward. So um, what I can share with you, because literally we are knee deep in this as we speak, <laughs> is the goal is to be able to have um, season two uh, released uh, for at least its first episode in March. Uh, what I also can share is that this year we are working in collaboration with another uh, arts organization specifically to do um, loud um, filming or I don't want to say filming, but but um, productions. Host, well, yeah. productions, but also kind of hosting um the actual preview of the episodes and being able to feature the actual local artists so not only just seeing them um in the actual film but physically getting to meet them oh, and so great. we're excited mm -hmm. about that yeah. so we're in the mix of doing that so you'll get to see it but you'll get to be there experience, and experience it. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then what I can share with you is that we're gonna go from four episodes to five. Yes, Cassie, I got my five. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> but 
um, this year as we will always highlight our local artists and integrate them in. Um, the interviews are, um, are have, have kind of moved towards stories of actual um, national, international artists, uh, in particularly who have created works that really do embody diversity equity and inclusion and so we're hoping to share that and then um having an, an opening experience that really is interwoven between all five episodes so i'm i'm excited that um i get to play yeah. the opera allows me to play i think in the space that normally you know i am mostly doing arts administration or administration work or operation work. And this is the opportunity for me to really use my creative side in which I actually do. So that's the season um, that I can share in sort of a snapshot. But what I would say is people should look out for it because this is definitely something that um, going from season one to season two and still having our host Wheezy, you know, in it, it's going to be quite amazing. It will be exciting, exciting, exciting. Awesome. So we are, we're getting towards the end of our recording session. Um, so I'm skipping around a little bit, but I am curious for both of you, um, what, do you have a dream project and this has this has no bounds. It can be as I do. You know, it could be a realistic dream. It could be whatever a, a dream project. Courtney, one. I have several. Okay, <laughs> several. <laughs> I admire what Houston Grand Offer did. Um, they did sort of a celebration night for Black artists, but it was also. Um, a fundraiser hmm. and it showcased some of the top opera who have graced our operatic stages um, in recital and um, also uh, showcased them um, as well in trios and singing together in quartets um, it was a beautiful affair to not only hear um, some of our African-American and people of color, um, our BIPOC community, um, composers, and um, hear their music, but also some of the repertoire that they're currently working on um, on the operatic stage. And, you know, I would love to host and plan um, an event like that, that um, would bring the community in to get to hear um, voices that, you know, Pretty Yende and people, you know, like Angel Blue. And you know, there are so many um, artists out there um, to just bring to the community that people just may not have had the means to go see, may not have come to this region, but in celebration of the art form, the artist, as well as the opportunity to fundraise for more events and for community service. So that's one project um, <laughs> that I would love to see, a formal, a formal evening of black excellence, you know, um, just to continue to move that, that narrative forward that we, you know, we can do other things than blue, porgy, and bass. And, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that we too are available to do all of these, yeah. um, play all of these roles. So, um, that's one. 
Nikla, do you have one? Well, like Courtney, I have a bunch, but I understand that we don't have all day. <laughs> so I'll, I'll share with you um, sort of uh, a current passion of mine. I love documentaries. I like being a part of uh, helping the, to put them together. But I like the stories that go deeper than just like... Uh, a biography so like when I think of Regina's King like one night in Miami that was like, so to good getting to stories about people um, where it is a, a moment that really talks about those interactions um, sometimes the challenges their thought process the controversy the those to me are like sort of what I I would love to to be able to to do as a project um and so that that would be something I would love to do or like to start doing a little bit a little bit more um, in my work. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Do we want to I get into the, our speed round? Yeah. Oh, oh boy. God. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Now this is where you lose us. <laughs> this is where you lose us. This is when we learn the true people. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. All right. Great. So we're going to jump into um, our speed round section. <laughs> After our deep and yep. involved conversation, lovely. This is a little bit more fun. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> they're both taking sips of water or slash coffee. I mean, it's, it's on. They're preparing. They're preparing. Yeah. <sighs> All right. All right. Okay, Let's are you it. ready? I'm ready. Okay. If you could meet any one person, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, MG. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Uh -huh. Not just because she would give you a car. <laughs> <laughs> now, I want to spend a whole week with Oprah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just me and her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sitting, mm -hmm. having coffee. I just want to have a talk with her. There's so much I'd like to ask her. Sure. So much. Hmm. So if I had to think about somebody living, um, gosh, I think because we've been talking about like digital work and film and stuff of that nature, um, you know, who's very intriguing to me right now because of he's sort of still acting but but doing some directing is Denzel Washington. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, there's a... You know him, but you don't know him. Yeah. He still has this mysteria to him. But then he's always really good at combating um, things when people are like, let me try to say something bad about you. And he's like, will you go for it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> So That's I think it's just like having a conversation with him and getting to know him would be interesting. Um, I'm still thinking about the other. I don't know, just because we're talking about oh, film. Oh, I didn't think of live, right? Huh? Someone alive. I picked right? someone oh, okay. alive. Okay. That okay. was yeah. not a live person. Okay. So. And that was only because I think my head is in the film space right now. And yep. I've just been thinking about um, how he showed up, how he's shown up over the years. That that would be interesting to me because I do feel like... Um, as a person in the spotlight, the way that he has moved 
um, and been able to still have his private life private and mm-hmm. still been able to be a major star that is appreciated and loved. Those are the types of people I like yeah. to say, like, how do you balance that? Yeah, because you, you never do? really, he's one of those ones where you never really on all of the tabloids. There's mm-hmm. never a whole bunch. He always manages to be his own person, person. it seems, mm-hmm. but yeah. he's still, yep. you know. And I, and I, something about that is important in the work that we do. You know, even though we're not famous people, you you work at the opera, mm-hmm. you still are in the public eye. Yeah. You know, a lot of what you do is public. And so with that, how how do you, how do you just your, balance that? Yeah, in general? yourself yeah. and everything. That's one thing I, I have noticed that I've heard uh, Oprah say is you have to keep some of yourself in everything that you do. Mm-hmm. How? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she says things. That sounds really Especially good. Especially on her level. Do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Hire a whole bunch of people, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. And then micromanage them all. Right. Yeah. Right. How? Right. All right. Okay. So then, what is your favorite holiday and why? So it's kind of interesting because um, there was a period where I wasn't selling, uh, celebrating as many holidays um, just due to circumstance. Um, and I just kind of got back into that, realizing that that is who I am and that is myself. Um, and in that, the holiday that I get so excited about is Independence Day. I don't know what it is, but okay. I love 4th of July. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this year for Christmas, like, it was kind of on steroids because it was, like, my sister's, it's, like, her holiday. Oh, and I found her, like, drawing me in. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> Why do we need pillows and <laughs> decorations? Like it was like over. But mine, I think, is um, Independence, Independence Day. Day. Something yeah. about the, yeah. that celebration um, brings me back to understanding the values of this country, where where I may feel like um, I stay in my community. So um, that has kind of been that for me. But I want to get more into Juneteenth. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I haven't, but that that will be. That's like my that's my my coming for a holiday. I'm gonna yeah. come for that. And, I'm and all about that. that. I'll mm-hmm. help support you in your Juneteenth Thank holiday. You. Thank you. I have all kind of decorations for your house. <laughs> I'll get you ready. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm torn because my parents' anniversary is Christmas Eve, and so wow. every day of my life every well every christmas season um you know my parents we we my mom and my father inherited through an elder in the family the christmas traditional family brunch it started every christmas morning at 9 a.m and it went on until the wee hours of the next morning. We spent, and my parents did too, their Christmas, their anniversary was preparing a holiday for their children, putting gifts together, Mm -hmm. but also instilling in us the real gift, which was giving and feeding the community Mm -hmm. and having conversation and embracing those elders that you don't realize when you're so young that they're not going to be here anymore, but you're going to still carry um, 
that you carry the same lineage, you, you carry the same blood, and someday you'll carry on this tradition. And the expectation behind it, the cleaning of the silver and the putting out the, the, the linens, and we used to just, just you know, hate it, you know, <laughs> yeah. hate it. But then we looked so much forward to it to the point where we really didn't even really open our gifts or my parents didn't open their anniversary gifts until the very next day because it was all about serving. But I have to say, my favorite is Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving, not in the historical context of the holiday, but what the holiday brings, it's a sort of a reset for me. It's coming to the end of the year and it's given me the opportunity to give thanks for life, for family, for traditions. Um, and the past two years have been really hard because I can't remember the time where I didn't have Thanksgiving. Yeah. And um, cooking the foods of the family um, and sharing the prayers and the love and checking in. And it, it's kind of turned into that um, family reunion, you know, you would have in August. Well, that reunion would be in Thanksgiving. It was kind of like the love and the extra push to get through the rest of the year to remind you who you are and where you came from and the shoulders that you stood on. It gives you that, um, that, that extra cushion of love and that hug in the foods that you eat to the company you keep. And it has gotten more, I mean, it has nothing to do with what the, the holiday is built on. But for me, I look forward to that sharing the space and preparing the foods and to just sit amongst family and loved ones. Um, and so that is my holiday. And Juneteenth is a lot like it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would. Yeah, mm -hmm. Juneteenth is a, is a lot like my philosophy of how I see Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think that's how I feel like I've been experiencing it with my family. But now, you know, I really want to, to carry it out. Yeah, it's it pulls out the things. Yeah, yeah. It pulls out our foods. It pulls out our culture. Yeah. There's also the storytelling aspect of it that happens in Thanksgiving, I think, in the black community, because you hear about ancestors that have passed along. And that is also the tradition of, you know, um, Juneteenth and, you know, freedom. And what happened after that found freedom? And what did we do to celebrate that freedom? Um, so yeah, that's my holiday. Okay, so let's do one last speed round, I think, and then we'll move on to our trivia. Um, move so on to our trivia. Oh, <laughs> I know. This isn't the trivia. Yeah, it's alright. It's alright. This ties in really well with your guys' holidays, though. Okay. If you could make any one food item disappear, <laughs> what would it be? Black eyed peas. Ah, okay. You want it to disappear, like? Disappear like not be. That, okay, I take that back. I take it back. Oatmeal. 
Okay. Oatmeal needs Oatmeal's to you needs so to go benign, away. Though. That's crazy because it's funny because I I am a very Disgusting. picky. I eat like a five year old, but I actually really enjoy I oatmeal. Me. <laughs> my mom and I we look at it and we start gagging. Like my oh sister my and my dad, they'll cook it with the brown sugar and the candy I cane, love it. and yes. and we're sitting there going, Ooh, I love oh. it. It's the only time we would not wash or clean dishes. I'm like no, that's great. Yeah, I mean I can I can see Ew. like. Cordy's like not happening. We're just not like, even no, talk about it anymore. Like I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting nauseous. <laughs> what about this hard for me? Because uh, the interesting part is, like for Fourth of July, it is the one time that I actually do like uh, to cook. I like all the foods, and maybe that's why I've gravitated to it. I like the, the sort of barbecue aspect mm-hmm. of it. Uh, doing a crab ball. Mm. I like all those things. So, like for me, the removal of food is not necessarily because it's the foods that I don't normally get to eat that yeah. you mm. get to see. Well, but it doesn't have to food. be from your holiday. It can be from the world, the world. in general. <laughs> okay, so <Oatmeal. laughs> this, this is the this is the finding. So Courtney's is oatmeal, and I talked to my mom about this. Um, so squash was my thing that I hated when I was a uh-huh. young kid. And even today, I like rebel, rebel it. So like literally when she would cook squash or their squash, yeah. I'm like, well, it's own lady. Because yeah. I'm not eating it. Yeah. I will sit here in an all-out war, and I'm not getting up until you remove it. And so squash yeah. even like... When I see it, <laughs> when it's cut up in tiny pieces, <laughs> like I'm not eating it. So, eat your squash. <laughs> so that will be the one thing I will okay. remove. Okay, all all forms of squash, even pumpkin pie. We don't eat pumpkin pie. I don't pie. eat pumpkin pie. Wow. <laughs> we don't eat no pumpkin pie. Come all the way from the motherland. Sweet potato yams. I don't want no. I love it. Because, like, where I grew up, we have a whole bunch of squash casserole, Elu. Oh, no, I don't. Green bean casserole. But we have a ton of squash because of the, like, sediment in the soil. So yeah. we have both the winter, the hard ones, and all of the summer ones. I love ones. squash. And they're totally <laughs> different to me. And so to just be like, it's all gone. I love okay. squash. So, Kathleen, push your heart because, you know what, you are absolutely right. I am a Georgia peach for sure. But let me tell you, that's just not one road I'm going down. <laughs> This squash is not happening. No. Okay. If it makes you feel any better, my squash has to be perfectly cooked or I won't cook it. The moment it starts to fall apart, I have an issue. And maybe it's because people don't always know how to cook okay. it well. Make so it is off. just not been that thing. Yeah. Like, I, I would be okay, you know, sorry for people who, like, girl. live and die by it. But that's the one, like, that can just not be My available. husband doesn't like squash. Mm-hmm. So every time we're in the grocery <laughs> store and I'm like, oh, squash. He's like, gross. Yeah. So I live with one who doesn't like squash. No so squash. I get it. <laughs> and I'm not a pie eater, really. So mm-hmm. it, the, the elimination of pumpkin, pumpkin pie, pie doesn't no mean anything to me. Yeah, see, I don't really like cake. And so mm-hmm. I like... So you like pie? Pie. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So. I don't like fruit at anything. Mm-hmm. I don't like cooked fruit. I, my fruit needs to be yeah. like in its original <laughs> state. I don't want it to be warm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cobblers. Um, yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. No. No. Uh-huh. Okay. 
All right. All right. So we are basically at the end of our episode, and we will end with a couple trivia questions. Um, um, dum, dum, dum. Yep. <laughs> Kathleen is keeping score, so pressure's on. Well, she's the athlete. <laughs> she's gonna, she's gonna, <laughs> no, but the score is you guys Listen. against Cassie. I am not gonna so, invoke my mom who oh. thinks everything has All to right, be beat. Have to hold us down. And then let's so go, let's go. We'll uh, we'll ask these trivia questions, and then you'll have to listen in to the next episode for the, for answer. the answers. Yeah. Right. All right. Are we ready? Yes. Ready. Who said the following quote? Hollywood's a place where they'll pay you $1,000 for a kiss and 50 cents for your soul. <laughs> I know because I turned down the first offer often enough and held out for the 50 cents. Liza Minnelli, Marilyn Monroe, or Diana Ross? Liza Minnelli. Okay, what else? Whatever. Tanique was like, I'm going to whatever Courtney said. <laughs> okay, so if it's not Liza Mandeli, we have Diana Ross or Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. It's probably Marilyn. It probably is. I was just going to say, I was going to guess Marilyn. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's... That sounds like, yeah. All right. True or false? According to Forbes' list for highest paid black female athletes, Venus out-earned Serena in 2020. Oh, true. True. Venus? Venus out-earned Serena. True in 2020. In 2020. Because you know that's when she got injured. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's true. I, I would say true. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I had to think, you're right, those numbers. And she had that baby. Mm. Oh, yeah. Listen to me, I sound like a Georgia. She had that baby. <laughs> she had that baby child. <laughs> All right, no judgment. <laughs> All right. According to Forbes, who is the highest paid actress in 2020? Gail Godot, Sofia Vergara, or Angelina Jolie? Was it what Angelina? year? 2020. 2020. So say that again. All, all Who's the names? first one? Because I feel like I... Gail Godot. So that's Wonder Woman. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Sophia Vergara. Yes. She's in Modern Family. I think so. And Angelina Jolie is Angelina. What has she done? Angelina, has she done anything? That was, that was 12 before. years ago. Oh, she 20... was hot. She was hot. Yes, I'm, I'm going like, Angelina. 2020? Yes. Yeah. 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 2020. Not 22. No, not this last 2020. year. Uh-uh. 2020. I don't think Jolie totally was hot in 2020. 2020. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah. about the uh-uh. top. No, I'm still with number two. I'm I think it's Sophia. Sophia. I'm Vergara. Sophia. It's Sophia. Modern Family ended. My sister Modern Family like, ended, but, but that was after 10 years of... I think... Did it end in 2020? I think yeah, Sophia Yeah, it Vergara. did. Didn't yeah. it? It I was in so. COVID that it ended, right? I think so. Yeah. 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 I thought... Yeah. Or right Sophia Vergara. Lock it yeah. in. Yep. It's <laughs> 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 the final answer. All right. Awesome. But then Angelo, uh-uh. okay, no, just, okay, fine, okay, fine, and talk themselves out of She might be making residual money. She, who knows? <laughs> no, she's a philanthropist with fifty kids. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> her money's all going. <laughs> all right, great. So thank you both so very much for thank joining you. us. We really appreciate you taking the time and your heartfelt honesty. Well, thank you we for having us. We appreciate all your work that you're doing for Arizona Opera and for the community. Thank you. And happy Black History Our Month. Our yes, pleasure. Absolutely. Yes. And happy Black History Month. We'll so, do it again. Thank you, ladies. Yes. Thank, thank you, thank you, you so, so much. much. We'll
be releasing a new behind-the-scenes podcast every month, so make sure to check our website, azopera.org, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And join our email list so you never miss a moment. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Arizona Opera Behind the Scenes is presented by Arizona Opera's Department of Education and Community Engagement. These programs are made possible in part thanks to the support from Karen Fruin, the Molly Blank Fund, Dr. Rex Brewster, Invest in Kids Charitable Gift Fund, the Marino Family Foundation, the Arizona Republic, Cardinals Charities, the City of Peoria, Desert Diamond Casino West Valley, Kiwanis of Lishfield, and a consortium of individual donors. The Behind the Scenes podcast is also part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative that encompasses a wide variety of programs that go beyond the opera stage to develop the next generation of opera artists, audiences, and philanthropists. To learn more about the programs that are part of the Arizona Opera Next Gen Initiative, please visit azopera.org and click Next Gen Initiative. These programs are made possible in part thanks to generous support from Karen Fruin, Roma Whitkoff, Jeanette J. Siegel, the Molly Blank Fund, APS, Jody Pelusi, and a consortium of individual donors. We would like to extend a special thanks to the Marlou Allen and Scott Stallard Costume Artisan Workshop. This podcast is produced by its hosts, Cassie Robel and Kathleen Trott, with editing and music composition by Sean Mallow.